0: Um, Good morning, my name is Judy Langhans. I'm I'm from the Office of Professional Nursing and the Center for Continuing Education here at Dartmouth. And I'd like to thank you for joining us for this very special session of Nursing Grand Rounds entitled Aspects of Interpreting. Um, I would also like to welcome anyone that's viewing this session online. Just a few housekeeping details. I'm very excited to tell you today about a pilot that we're doing. Um, So after the program, The pilot is to link um, attendance to evaluation. So after the program, you'll receive an email from the Center for Continuing Education to complete an online evaluation. Upon completing the evaluation, your one contact hour will automatically be posted to your online transcript. This pilot links evaluation to receiving credit. But even if you don't want the credit, we'd appreciate it if you would sign in and complete the evaluation because we'd like your feedback. It's very important to us. So please be sure to sign in in the back of the room, and you must attend at least 80% of the program to receive credit. And for those viewing online, you can email me after, within an hour after the presentation with your name, degree, and zip code, um, and you will receive a link to the evaluation. Um, there are instructions in the back of the room on how to access your online transcript if you haven't done that before. And if you could just please silence your cell phones and pagers. Oh, oh, also a note to the people that are viewing online. If you have any questions during the presentation, you can email me. My email is judith.m, as in May, laying hands at hitchcock.org. And we'll relay any questions to the presenter at the end of the presentation. Our speaker today is Susan Wolf Downs. Susan is the Executive Director of the Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing Services in Concord, New Hampshire. She is the first person to be the Executive Director for this organization. Susan has been a presenter to many organizations on the national and local level and has received awards from organizations. Most notably, she was one of ten finalists for the Robert Wood Foundation Award in May 2006. Neither our speakers nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or a conflict of interest regarding this activity and no one refused to disclose. I'd like to welcome Susan Wolf Downs. In addition, I'd like to invite people to come back for a round table brown bag lunch with Susan for further information and discussion with her. That will be at noon in this room, but Jean Essex from Interpreter services here at Dartmouth is offered to take people on a tour in between. So after this at around 11, Jean will take people on a tour and then we'll have the brown bag lunch at noon. Thank you very much.
1: Great. Thank you, Judith. Good morning, everyone. So we have interpreters that are working right now. Uh, The interpreter that you hear the voice of is Janice. And she will be voicing for me because I am deaf. Um, I actually was born deaf. And I'll tell you a little history. Went to deaf schools all of my life, residential schools. Um, and at the college level, I did go to a um, program that had hearing students as well. Um, but that was my foundation growing up. So it gave me confidence. And that really kind of explains how I was able to kind of you know, move up the ladder, reach out, kind of grow as an individual. Um, and I studied accounting and worked for the phone company and then became director of NDHHS, Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing. So that's a little bit about me. And when they asked me about a title for this workshop, I know you all have experienced tons of workshops, this and that and everything in between. And I wanted to come with something different. And I wanted it to be really specific to patient care. So I wanted it to really center on the patient. And if I'm not clear at any time, please feel free to raise your hand and ask questions. And there's no stupid questions. So please go ahead. This a safe environment. You're here. I congratulate you. So don't feel like you're going to insult me in any way. I'm here to answer your questions. Okay? This is a training. That's how we learn. And it's better to make the mistakes here than with your patients. (laughs) And the interpreter just asked me to just check. um, This is hearing culture, not deaf culture, but she wanted to just check and make sure everyone can hear me okay. Am I loud enough? (laughs) Can you hear the interpreter okay? Okay, great. Thanks. And I wanted to introduce my staff, Casey Farrell. She is one of um, two referral specialists at Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing, and I asked her to join us. She has a wealth of knowledge and skills in the Referral Department of Interpreters. Um, I may be the director, but I don't have all the answers. So I may actually call on Casey during the presentation (laughs) to give me a little feedback. So uh, it takes a team. It takes a community to really make this a success. Um, and that includes your hospital. So we all want to work together. They can't you know, fall on the shoulders of one individual. And I would like to actually make a special note here. This is Dawn Welshman to my right. Uh, she used to actually work for Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing. I trained her well, let me <laughs> tell you. She now works um, for the Cheshire Medical Center. So just wanted to introduce. And I'm glad that you're here, Dawn. Thanks for coming. So these are my objectives for the day. I'll ask you to just take a look at them now. Um, Often when I do presentations to a deaf audience, I will step out of the way and actually give the deaf person time to read. Because in your culture, you can read and listen to the speaker going on and on and on about it, anything and everything. So I want you to realize that. There is a difference in the two cultures. And so deaf people don't have four eyes. You know, they can't listen to what the speaker is saying as well as reading something. So I like to take a little pause so that we can do one thing at a time. And really, um, the two languages are very different. And you'll often see the interpreter maybe say to me, can you hang on for one second? Because in ASL, something may be pretty succinct. And in English, it takes a larger description. And it it really means that we're working as a team. You know, we have excellent
0: interpreters. When interpreters ask for clarification with your patients, it doesn't mean they don't know what
1: they're doing. It means they're an excellent interpreter because they want to get the message clear. So they're doing, that's part of their job. If they don't ask for clarification, I would wonder. (laughs) You should wonder as well. So Anyway, so these are my objectives today. I'll just let you read. that. So I just want to briefly touch on, um, it kind of took me several weeks to, um, you know, kind of look at the information for this, the interpreter system, the community, um, to kind of look at this. And really, it's a, you know, it's a very large topic. So I'm just giving you a little bit of history here, just how the interpreting field got its beginnings, um, and where it has gone. So um, I wanted to just give you this little bit of um, kind of history to give you an idea of, you know, where things started. Uh, The 1960s, there about, the deaf community, and usually children of deaf adults, um, were called upon as interpreters, often pastors, Teachers that knew some sign language, um, they often were asked to interpret, to go and act as an interpreter. So that was the helper model. That's this first model I have listed here. Oftentimes, um, those people were people who had parents that were deaf and knew the language somewhat, but they never got paid back then at that time. This is, again, in the 60s. And we decided at that time that that was not working. And there was a group of children of deaf adults, codas, um, and some pastors, some folks that had been called on to interpret, and they got together, and they formed the National Association of the Deaf, NAD, and Voc Rehab. And they decided that they wanted to see a change. So from the helper model, we went to interpreters that have to take courses. They um, have to have certification, be evaluated in some way. Um, And at that time, there was none of that. And what they became was really conduits or a machine model. Whatever the doctor said or that the person who can hear said went straight to the deaf person. There was nothing else done. Sometimes the deaf person was left not understanding, because if you follow exactly the English that the doctor is saying, that's not the deaf person's language. So there was no actual interpretation being done. So really, it took a while to become the third model, which is the communication facilitator. Working between two languages, but it still had its sticky issues. The interpreters sometimes would get involved in the conversation, so the Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf (RID), which is a national group, decided that it had to change. So they actually developed bylaws. They went to conferences, and really, kind of became this nonprofit company and tried to get involved. So interpreters then became bicultural, bilingual models, which means they understood the culture of the deaf person as well as understanding the culture of the hearing person and seeing the differences in each one and making adjustments. Oftentimes, a deaf person doesn't understand a hearing person's actions because it's part of their culture and not the deaf person's culture and vice versa, you know? Like I just told you to read this slide and I didn't voice over it because that's really part of deaf culture. So that's what I wanted you to see in that kind of modeling. And so I wanna make sure, and then again, when the interpreter asked if you could all hear her voice, you know, I would never think of that because it's not part of my culture. I would never stand up here and say, can you hear me? (laughs) But because the interpreter wanted to make sure you are getting the information. And then the last model is the Ally model, and this one is really the best. Because the interpreters have firm um, uh, boundaries that they have to um, recognize and deal with. Do you have any questions about the models that I'm putting up here? Okay, this is one of my favorite slides. (laughs) Go ahead and take a look at this before I talk Okay, so does everybody, do you agree with this? So um, professional code of conduct is something from the Registry of Interpreters of the Deaf that a signer would not follow, they would not have that. Um, Oftentimes I hear from patients, and believe it or not, the deaf community is really connected with NDHHS. Where Casey and I work, um, especially the referral department that works with interpreters. And, you know, a lot of times they will let me know. Um, You know, there was a person that they hired, they were a signer. I've never seen that person before. I could understand them okay, but, you know, this is not great. So we recognize that there are some gaps in communication access and patient. You know, maybe this person has a friend whose mother is deaf and so they knew a little sign, and, you know, let's have them come because we can't find a professional interpreter, you know, or let's use the deaf talk machine, that'll be good enough, you know? So don't depend on a signer. How many of you, I'm wondering, Have you ever said to the patient, can you read my lips? Raise your hand if you've ever done that one. Come on, be
0: honest. It's
1: a safe place. You can say, can you read my lips? Have you ever said that to a deaf patient? Right? I see it, I see it in your faces. Smiles, I see, some of you are guilty of this. But that happens quite often. For a hard of hearing person with hearing aids and maybe they talk for themselves, that may be a safe question to ask. But really, the best approach for communication is to write a note and say, how do you prefer to communicate? And let the patient decide, not you. OK? You no, know, if you're deaf, you, know, you think, oh my god, you go screaming running for the hills, right? You're afraid of what they're going to ask for. But just ask them. Some deaf people don't use sign language. They may not require an interpreter, but others do. So how will you know unless you ask? And the referral department is fabulous here. You get to depend on them, Gene Essex. You know, they also keep profiles of deaf individuals who come to this hospital to make sure that they can give a good match. And if they're not sure, they'll be in touch with our office. And we have a database that keeps profiles for deaf individuals who they prefer to work with, who they don't prefer to work with. So, and we can actually use that as a, a wonderful resource. So it's their right to have that, to make sure that we get a good match, the right interpreter for the right situation. And it's interesting, because you know once a hospital has a deaf patient, if they haven't had one, they don't know what to do. And it's kind of this frenzy of activity. And they wonder how they're going to make it through. And they have to find an interpreter. And so they say, oh yeah, we found an interpreter. Great, no problem. So they put that interpreter in there in that situation, and it happens to be a good match. That's wonderful when that works out. And then they say, great, can I have your business card to the interpreter? And they take that interpreter's business card. Then another deaf person comes, That's a different deaf person. And they think, great, let me call that interpreter. I have their number. I have their business card. Let me get them in place again. And then you have another deaf person who comes to the hospital, and they use this same interpreter time and time again. You want to think about it the other way around. How do you know that this deaf person prefers that interpreter? How do you know that interpreter is a good match for that deaf person? Do you think that interpreter, that one interpreter, can match every single patient that comes into this, this hospital? Probably not. So it's important to ask the patient, how they would like to communicate. Do you have a preference of interpreter? Do you have names of interpreters that you work with and feel comfortable with? And sometimes, the deaf person will say to you, now I like that, that interpreter who's blonde, and really tall, the one with the glasses, you know who I'm talking about. They don't know the name of the person. A lot of times it's difficult for a deaf person to remember the names of an interpreter. So, you may run into that, where they give you a description. I actually have been, teaching the deaf community and telling them, if you find an interpreter that you want to work with, ask them for their business card. Then you have their contact information with you and you can ask for them. And that way if you are asked who you prefer as an interpreter, you have a more solid lead. You have their name and their contact information. So that's one way of doing it. Or you can always call Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing and ask us, we have this deaf person here, Who is their preferred interpreter? Do they have any preferences? Because we do often have a list. And we are certainly willing, if you can't find an interpreter, we're willing to take over that process for you and continue to search to make sure we find the appropriate match for you. And so an interpreter, um, an important part of the culture is for an interpreter to be involved in deaf community and events that happen. The interpreter, the signer, may not do that at all. So um, an interpreter actually will take the time that it requires to socialize and to be um, part of the deaf community. And we talk about something called deaf heart, and we, that's a concept in the deaf community. And it means a person who is genuinely interested in um, the the value of the deaf community. Um, Oftentimes there are gatherings, maybe family gatherings. Sometimes we have to find an interpreter who wouldn't mind volunteering for that. So we have a great group of interpreters in this area. And they are allies to the deaf community. I did talk a little bit about discretion uh, prior to this slide. The interpreter needs to make decisions before they accept a job and as to whether they're um, skilled enough, they're the appropriate match. If it might be a conflict of interest, that interpreter has to recuse themselves. You know if it's a medical emergency, um, EMIS, our emergency system, we do have interpreters that are on call and they often will ask when they are called, for the name of the patient, because they need to make sure that they're correct a correct match for that deaf patient. And if they are not, they need to find a replacement and take themselves out of that situation. Um, there are some community members and some interpreters that just, for whatever reason, it is a conflict of interest for them to work together. And it's sometimes reasons that are unknown to you, so um, it's important that we make sure that they're the proper match. And that's why we refer back to their profile at Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing. The referral department at NDHHS has um, all the profiles. And they have it quickly accessible. And so they can make the call to any deaf person on a video phone and check with them as well to make sure that they want to be using the interpreter that you have set up. Deaf people want certain interpreters for some appointments and other interpreters for other appointments. And we understand that. That's up to them. So anytime, we often call the person and make sure, you know, what what are your preferences in this situation? Do you want us to reschedule the appointment if we can't find your preferred interpreter? Or would you like to go ahead with someone else? So we ask those questions. So, and sometimes the all specialists go out into the community and they ask me as well because sometimes a new person's name will come up a deaf person's name that they haven't heard of before and they want to make sure that it's the right match so they'll ask me for my opinion so um, oftentimes uh, if a deaf person you know is a strong American Sign Language user You know, we need a nationally certified interpreter to work with that person, so it's important to have the right match. And this is just, again, something for you to be aware of. We want to make sure that the interpreter does not counsel or advise, and the interpreter must have the skills necessary for the particular situation. Sometimes the medical providers, as you know, come up with these phrases in English that are incredibly complex, and you see the interpreter not signing at all, right? The interpreter is taking that information that you have given them in English, and they have to then take that and put it into American Sign Language, because they are two separate languages. So they can't predict what you're going to say, they have to wait for you to say it, and then they have to give their production in American Sign Language. It's almost impossible to repeat exactly what the doctor is saying verbatim, because it's in a different language. So they must understand the concept of what the doctor is saying and the meaning, and take that and then put that into American Sign Language. And if you see the deaf person doing this, nodding, It means that they're understanding the interpretation. If you see this from the deaf person while the interpreter is signing, you got to wonder. And you may want to take a step back and see if you can make it more clear, or maybe you need another interpreter. Maybe you need a a different interpreter. So you want to make sure that the language is a match. And it's tough. It's not always clear. And sometimes the interpreter themselves will have to make a split decision right in the middle of that appointment and maybe decide, you know what, this is not an appropriate situation for me to be in. Um, For some very crucial situations, there are often times that we need to send two interpreters, a certified deaf interpreter, to work with the hearing interpreter as well for linguistic reasons, just to make sure that the information is conveyed as clearly as possible. Okay. So this is very similar to your professions as nurses and doctors. You have um, professional ethics, of course, that you must follow. So that's the same as uh, nationally certified interpreters. And with deaf culture, There is a little bit um, with, if you're talking about morals, for example. So, for example, maybe you have um, a situation where a deaf person is taking birth control and are sexually active. The mother's in the room with this patient. The interpreter happens to know from another medical appointment, you know, knows the information about the birth control pills and the doctor asks, are you sexually active? The deaf girl says no. Mm -mm. And the doctor says, are you on birth control? And the mother's sitting right here again and the deaf patient doesn't want to identify any of that information. It's a sticky area. The deaf person will often feel a sense of trust to that interpreter. But the interpreter has to make adjustments and decide whether that information must be conveyed or not. Another good example that I can think of is uh, in a situation of abuse. And the interpreter knows that this is a situation that has um, abuse involved. And the deaf person goes to the hospital. And the question comes up regarding abuse, maybe child abuse. And this interpreter in this situation probably has to make a mandated report because it would be harmful to the child in the situation involved if they did not. So this is in protection of the child. And social workers, by law, obviously have to be mandated reporters. So there are very few times that interpreters have come to me and have said, you know, in this situation, this adult is a danger to themselves, a danger to others, you know, whatever it is so that we can make that report and without giving our names so, so that the proper authorities can be contacted and they can make an investigation and check into that. And it's all obviously closed information. I don't have any access to that information, but it's it's a fine line. Interpreters have to work as part of a team. And it's so important to involve our organization as well as a resource. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a nationally certified interpreter and what that's like. <clears throat> In the state of New Hampshire, we have screened interpreters who may have just graduated from an interpreter training program. And then we have all the way up to, you know, a, a fifth year, you know, person who has been screened, who is a, pen screen, who's a pen excellent interpreter, but just not ready to take the national exam yet. Sometimes hospitals and doctor's office will um, hire an interpreter based on their cost. So they will call different interpreters and say, well, how much do you charge? How much do you charge? And of course, a screen interpreter compared with a nationally certified interpreter is much more expensive. And so we want to make sure that um, you get the right interpreter, not just the one who is the least expensive. So really, under the RSA in the state of New Hampshire, VR is um, the body that really makes that determination. So we want to make sure that we have the correct uh, level of certification to meet the need. I'm wondering. When the interpreter arrives in a situation that you're in, how often do you ask their level of certification or their level of experience? I mean, it should come from the referral department or the uh, referral department here at Dartmouth. Um, But I'm just wondering, do you ever ask as a nurse? Probably not, right? So anybody have that experience? Do you ever ask their level of certification or, or what they have for credentials? Or do you know what they have? Or do you look at their criteria before they arrive? How many years of experience they have? Hmm, their cost is low compared to this other interpreter. So it's you know it's important that you kind of figure out what level of skill the interpreter has that you're working with. <coughs> we actually do not have uh, NIC map up. We actually have um, some interpreters who have received these credentialings because um, they, they earned it in the years that those were being developed. <coughs> and I'll just walk through them. And actually, why don't I have you go ahead and read them? NIC certified is uh, similar to a person back then, was similar to a person who was screened. The advanced, the minimum skills, um, who makes those decisions as to their qualifications and whether and what tests they have passed. It's the registry of interpreters for the deaf, the national body. They have a performance test, they have a scoring credential that they um, have to follow. And so those are the people that make the determination about the interpreter. And My point being is just to kind of give you an idea of the system itself that interpreters have to follow. And these are important um, domains that each interpreter has to prove that they have skill in, in each of those tests. And that's part of the testing process. And now there's just one test, the NIC. There's a written component and a performance component. And they don't break it out into those levels anymore. It's just NIC. So, But some interpreters, again, you will see that they have those different um, credentialing on their card because they were tested previous to this new system. But it's good for you to know if they have their, um, you know, you can always ask to see their credentialing. Because otherwise, you won't have any idea what they have. And you know, how do you know you're working with a good interpreter? It's the outcome, right? It's the outcome. Does the patient understand the interpreter? Do you understand the deaf patient? Is communication flowing? In some inexperienced hospitals, we have to give them a lot of help and a lot of resources. So that they don't, because oftentimes they don't use interpreters often enough to know the process. We do have other certifications. We have the NIC that we just went through. And then these are some of the other certifications. This is what I was talking about, a certified deaf interpreter. And why do you think that using a certified deaf interpreter might be important? Does anybody know? Why would you hire an interpreter in the first place? Just a regular interpreter to sign and to voice. Why would you hire them? For communication, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So you want to make sure that you get clear communication. Sometimes with that, interpreter who can hear, they struggle with the language because it's not their first language. And they're not certain that they can understand that deaf individual. And that's when you want to bring in a certified deaf interpreter who is a better match linguistically to that deaf individual and can work in conjunction with the hearing interpreter to make communication flow. And so they work as a team. And it does take an extended period of time, because it's now going through two interpretations. But it's, an, it's really a valuable experience. And this is a little off the point. But a couple of weeks ago, someone called. It was a woman. She was in her 60s. And she said, I need your help. And she said, my mother's in the hospital. She's 86 and we were having a difficult time inter- in, uh, communicating. And they weren't able to find an interpreter, they were typing with her. I said, okay. So, you know, I've seen it all. <laughs> Every situation you can think of. So I said, where did this person go to school? They went to a school, a school for the deaf, a residential program. And, you know, I've worked in a lot of places i and i have i know this person very well and they have lost some of their signing capabilities and she signed hospital in a very different way than the normal way to sign hospital so i had to double check with her to make sure we were on the same page and we were talking about a hospital but her language was starting to decline so i said have you used interpreters for medical appointments, and she said no, never. I almost fell out of my chair at that point. Couldn't believe she had never used interpreters. So I have to be careful with my expression and my body language, but <clears throat> anyway, so I said okay. I said how about let's get the social worker involved that's working on your case. I said it's important that you have an advocate because I'm working with you and I want to make sure that you know we get the patient's needs met. So that's important, number one, is to make sure that you have the, the referral and the resources that you need. So when I touched base with the hospital, they had no idea, and so we work as a team to try and strategize what's going to be the best approach for this individual. So they wanted to talk about um, the mother's knee. and so. She fingerspelled "bucket," the deaf patient, and I think she, what she was saying was "buckle," my knee buckles, but she was spelling "bucket" because she wasn't, she didn't know the word, and a general interpreter, a regular interpreter, would not catch that probably, but a deaf interpreter would know that she was trying to say "my knee buckles" in that meeting. So it's critical to have the right linguistic model with the right patient and so we did send an interpreter and and they said oh the appointment will be 15 minutes and i said well just so you know it probably will not be 15 minutes it'll probably be more like 2 hours with the interpreting process I mean, I have seen it all, really. I've seen about every situation and I still, <laughs> each time, there you know, things happen out there that I never expect. So. <clears throat> and I want to point out an error. On the second one, certificate of transliterate, a uh, uh, translation, it's a certificate of interpretation and certificate of transliteration. It should be C-I-C-T. So uh, transliteration follows more English, and certificate of interpretation is more um, taking it from one language of ASL, American Sign Language, into English, and vice versa. And there are some interpreters that have both of those certifications. Then we have the certification for legal situations. So those interpreters can work in the court systems, um, and They also um, can work with uh, family members in a legal matter. So you don't have to have someone who's certified in legal, but it is the best case scenario. But if they have training in legal, um, that's always a must. And you always have to rely on the interpreter to make make the judgment call if they are the appropriate person in that situation. And really, again, remember you're working for the patient. We want to make sure that the patient's rights are met. Oral transliteration, there are many uh, hard of hearing and deaf individuals, some who grew up orally and do not use sign, and they miss a lot. Um, So I suggest in that situation, you might also hire CART, which is a service that types out the message. (coughs) And you can either receive that on a laptop or on an overhead screen. deaf-blind certification. Um, this again would be where um, the person is using tactile communication. And oftentimes this person is a certified deaf interpreter who works with deaf-blind individuals. And a lot of times your uh, interpreters who can hear, your general interpreters, will tell you that they may not have expertise in that. And the last category is state screened interpreters who have taken an interpreter training program, maybe are out one or two years, and have taken the screening to prove that they have some level of uh, skill. And they're not yet ready to take the national certification, but they have that on as their goal. And if you think sign language, who do you think is that's for? Do you think it's for people who can't hear only? It's not. It's involved in all of this. So I just wanted to bring this up so that people kind of expand your thinking around sign language as a form of communication. There are languages that don't rely on speech, British Sign Language, French Sign Language, okay? They all have their own separate sign languages. So I just want you to kind of think outside the box when it comes to a visual language. And this is, you know, really interesting, speech without communication. Babies babble, right? They're not actually yet speaking, they're not communicating, but they're trying, and they're moving in that direction. Really, autism is a spectrum, and I'm not here to expound on the autism spectrum, but I do want to just make the the plea for Autism, uh, sign language works with people who um, have autism. It can work with babies that are just beginning to babble. Um, it's great to develop eye contact and um, eye hand coordination. You know, a lot of times, you folks who can hear, you just disregard facial you know, expressions and body language. It's very important. And really, um, deaf people obviously have been using it forever, and so it's an important part of our communication. Um, A lot of times, you get bogged down with all your auditory stimuli. You know, your iPhone, your music, your you know. I'm behind you, watching you drive. You're swerving all over the road because you're trying to change the radio station, and you're making me crazy. (laughs) So you know, they think that deaf people can't drive. Well, I. I've seen it happen too often. (laughs) And in the situation of mental health, there are some times when a person can have a psychotic break. And they're making no sense at all. And even though they can hear, the better approach might actually be a visual communication. So, it's really important. In, and in the case of a deaf person who's going through some sort of mental illness, it's so important to have an interpreter that is comfortable with mental health situations and well versed in them, because this is a very difficult field to be interpreted in. When you have um, elderly patients, maybe experiencing dementia, and maybe the part of their brain that works with speech is not functioning well. So maybe some basic sign would help. You know, a smile. They can still see, they're just, their brain is not functioning at the level it used to. So it may be helpful to have some sign language. So it's not just your deaf patients that you're using sign language with. It can really be helpful in a variety of settings. So there's, sign language has been around for thousands of years. And these are just resources for you to know. And um, I'm sure that you can take trainings on these where they expound on them even more. But there's the the key. You know that we all have to provide this access, this communication access. And it is difficult. And it's a very demanding field. And we get that. I want to make many, many clones of interpreters so that they're at the ready all the time because they're not often. Um, I encourage high school students to think about this field. Get into it. It's not easy. It requires four years of study. Before it was only two, now they're, they're making the shift to a four-year degree. And I wouldn't be surprised 15, 20 years from now that you'll have to have a master's degree to be an interpreter. Um, and it really would be lovely if that were a requirement now. Because it really is critical. So far, are you with me? Everybody here? Are you sure? All right, join me some noise. (laughs) Let me just take a second here. Last week. I had seven eighth grade students from Bow. It's a last minute call two or three days before. Kids wanted to meet a deaf person. They did one year of fundraising. They were willing to do a donation um, from their bake sale. They wanted to donate to Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is great. Very sweet. And so, I thought, man, I'm going to need an interpreter. So, I found an interpreter to go with me on this short notice. And the kids were full of questions, as you might imagine. I got to tell some stories, which was great. They couldn't believe my stories, which was good. And, you know, my husband was telling me, my hearing aid's not working. My hearing aid's not working. There's something wrong with it. I don't know what's going on with it. He's hard of hearing. And so he was complaining about this situation with the hearing aid. And I'm like, you know what? It's great to be deaf. I don't have to worry about that at all. <laughs> An hour later he says, There's something humming. There's something humming. It's driving me crazy. I know there's something going on. What's going on? And I actually have a hearing aid that I just use for TV or music or a show or you know, those kinds of things. But that's about it. And then once I, I'm done with that, I put it away. I don't I don't wear it often. So I put my hearing aid in. I'm like, mine's fine. It's not humming, so I don't know what you're talking about. Give it. Up, I gave it a little test myself. He's like, don't oh, know, turn it up. I'm like, fine, I'll turn it up. I'm like, um, hang on, hang on, it's getting louder. It was the uh, sump pump it needed to be cleaned. And the lights, you know, lights on telling you this, of course, but we didn't see it. It was making this crazy noise. So I told my husband, I said, here's your, here's the location of your sound. (laughs) So we flipped the switch, gave it a little on and off, and there it was, it was gone. But it was too funny. He just was so bothered by this noise, you know? And that was the one noise that he could hear, you know? There are a lot, oftentimes he can't hear anything else, but... Very funny. But don't ask me how that happens. I, I'm not an audiologist. I couldn't even begin to tell you the workings of the ear. Anyway, back to my wrap up. So if you meet a, a patient who is deaf, our referral department really um, asks these things. You know, they want to know, did this person go to a residential school for the deaf? Or were they mainstreamed into a public education with hearing students? Because maybe they need an interpreter who is slightly more English. Maybe they need an interpreter who's more ASL. Sometimes we will um, call interpreters that are on their profile list and say, you know, look, those two interpreters were not available. Who else do you prefer? Or we might ask the interpreter about this individual. Who might you recommend that can work with them? Who do you think is a good match? So we want to make sure at all times to get the right match. Okay. If the patient's happy with the interpreter, then really you will have an excellent reputation. But if you have you know, lots of different interpreters for a situation, They'll tell you whether they're satisfied with that interpreter or not. And, you know, maybe some interpreters are just not a good match for that person. Their signing style is not a good match. Some interpreters don't have a lot of facial expression, which is the grammar of the language. Maybe that deaf person's not comfortable with that. So always it's important to ask the deaf patient, who would they like? And if they give you one recommendation of an interpreter, ask them for more, obviously, because that one person may not be available. Um, And then your next resource is Northeast Deaf and Hard of Hearing. This um, Deaf Plus means that it might be a deaf individual and they may have cerebral palsy. And that would require a CDI. So you do a regular interpreter with a certified deaf interpreter because their signing sound may be very difficult to understand. Um, If they call um, to our organization on the video phone, a lot of times we have to bring in a certain staff member who can understand them and really match them for communication, and take the time it takes to understand clearly what they're asking for. So Deaf Plus, that's what that means, is a deaf person with another disability. For a hard of hearing individual, If you would, you you may get a lot of this with with the hard of hearing person. They nod quite actively when you're done talking, and they smile. What do you think you should do next with that person, if that's all you get? What do you think? Come on. You know, give me a break. What do you think? So you mean you get this as a response, and you think, great, and you leave the room. Do you know they understood you? Are you satisfied? Why not? You want to ask the patient, what do you think I said? Can you, can you give it back to me? You know, what's this test for? Or what's this appointment for? Make sure that they give it back to you so that you know that they understood, okay? Because otherwise, all you're gonna get is that smile and nod, hmm sure, okay. And you never know if you have full understanding. About 15 years ago, there was a funeral. Um, And it was a deaf person um, in a wheelchair. And it was quite snowy out. And the interpreter um, wanted to actually follow them in their car. And the deaf person said, no, I'm not, I'm not a baby. I don't need you to follow me. And so the person said, why don't you call me when you get home just to let me know you made it OK. And They said, fine, I can do that. So this was down in Philadelphia, anyway. So I asked I asked the deaf individual, I said, call me when you get home, just to make sure I just want to make sure that you're safe. Because the weather was terrible. So they wanted to come to the funeral, I said, fine, you know, whatever, but I just want to make sure you make it home. So I'm waiting and waiting for this call. And the video phone was not acting right. And actually I could see a policeman you know, kind of the side of the policeman on the screen, trying to fiddle with the, with the uh, camera. So we finally established a sight line. Well, this person had fallen. So my husband and I drove over to his apartment. There was an ambulance there, you know, cars everywhere. There was fire truck. And what had happened was, the person got home and tried to use their walker in the snow, because the wheelchair wasn't able to do it, and just made a misstep and fell and wasn't able to crawl because they were um, uh, having to sit there for, it was maybe 10 or 15 degrees outside. And the plow came by and saw the van, and saw you know all this, kind of the wheelchair out there, and so he actually decided to investigate and realize that this person had taken a fall and called the police. So they brought him to the hospital. And so the police came, and they said, you know, you've been hurt. Your ribs are injured, and they weren't able to communicate real well with them. And so they were trying to gesture. So my husband and I got there, and we figured out what was going on and what the situation was and that there wasn't really good communication. And we got to the hospital. We knew there would be an interpreter there. So so my husband and I stayed with my brother. And the nurse told my husband, um, why don't you leave the room? We communicate just fine. Can you read my lips, she says. <laughs> and my brother's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. And he, he's like, what did she just say? I don't understand her. Later, I mean, you know, we had a good laugh over it, but it happens all the time, all too many times. So we should have had, the nurse should have allowed my husband to stay in the room to help facilitate the communication. And this is very important. The interpreter's background and degrees. Please don't hire a signer. Make sure that you hire someone who is qualified. And um, certainly at the round table, we can go into deeper discussion about some of these issues and have good discussions. But if you have any questions now, I'm happy to answer them. Um, and please don't be afraid to ask a question, OK? Those bow kids, remember I told you about all those little kids? They had tons of questions for me. <laughs> so don't just sit here like a bump on a log. You can ask me anything. You know, I mean, you can actually ask me really anything. It was so cute, one little boy.
0: thought it was rude to ask me if I can speak and I said no it's fine
1: I can voice I told the interpreter okay don't say anything in case he was interpreting for me and so I used my voice and the kids were like what (laughs) I said yeah sounds like a deaf voice doesn't it and I said you know if I'm on my own one-on-one with an individual I can I can do that you know that's all right Short and sweet, <laughs> two, and, two and three minutes, but I don't want any lengthy conversation without having an interpreter. I can say hello, the, you know the courtesies, how are you? that kind of things, You know I mean, if I've known the person forever, you know, I know my name, I, you know I've been seeing it for years, but if there's terminology that I'm unfamiliar with, I'm not going to be able to say it or understand it through spoken words. So yeah. <laughs> I, that's when I ask the interpreter to voice. So, any other questions? None. Are you sure? Just because my last name is Wolf, but I know what. Hi, No, we don't have much time, so I guess we'll save
0: it for the afternoon. Yeah. Are you certified as an interpreter? I am not. I am not. Well. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> We have someone here who's thinking of studying ASL and would like to your recommendations on where to go to school.
1: Well, actually, the better person to ask might be the interpreters. Um, I know there is an interpreter training program. Uh, do you live in New Hampshire? Um, I live like five minutes in. Vermont to New Hampshire. Okay. Very close. Okay. I mean, really, there are a variety of schools um, nationwide, so if you want to um, get your degree, but if you want to be a certified interpreter, are you studying to become an interpreter? Is that your goal? That's what I want to do. Okay. And do you have a bachelor's already?
0: No, I'm going to be
1: a sophomore in college next. This coming- mm-hmm semester. Okay. All right. And where are you currently? Castleton State College.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Oh. Well. Yeah. And that's the western part of Vermont, near Albany. Mm-hmm. There we go. You probably want to go online and see where the interpreter training programs are. Um, But I recommend that if you want to become an interpreter, you should probably get involved in an interpreter training program um, because you have a whole host of courses that you would take. And if you just try and learn everything out in the community, it's pretty rare that you would be able to do that. So, Um, If you wanted to um, talk with someone at the University of New Hampshire, they have an interpreter training program. I could give you a contact there. Um, There's also a program in Maine. Um Boston has an interpreter, Northeastern. Uh, they have an interpreter program. Um, yeah, so I could you know I could certainly give you a contact. Syracuse has another program, so yeah, Albany, Syracuse, yeah. UConn uh, oh Utica, I believe is where the program is. Yeah. Brown University. <coughs> I don't know if they are offering currently, but but there are lots of interpreter training programs. Um, I'm obviously from New Hampshire, so I focus a bit on New Hampshire, but I can give you that contact if you would like it. So, yeah. Good. So I'm hoping maybe to see you all around, and maybe I'll see you at the noon brown bag. And thanks for coming. And if you feel like you want to ask me a more personal question, that's fine. You can certainly approach me and. Um, I'll be around. Thank you.